Hey, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great this weekend. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at any of our six physical locations and also the many of you that are watching online or on demand, however you're accessing our content. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here. Thank you so much for engaging with, with us. And, and you've been hearing through this service that we've got Adventure Week VBS coming up. Just want to invite you to pray into that. But it's really kind of the kickoff as we head into Memorial Day weekend. Schools start to let out. It's really the kickoff for the summer. So there's also just a, a full link summer schedule that you can access this weekend, Sunday night. They kick off with a summer luau theme. And then we've got Serve the City in late July, where we're going to go out in all six of our locations and serve and bless uh, our communities. And then actually, I just ask you to pray uh, for me and some others. We leave this weekend on a mission trip, an exploration trip to Nicaragua, be gone for a few days as uh, we're just gearing up to be the church here where God's placed us, but also regionally and globally as God has given us that commission to be his hands and feet. So a lot of great stuff going on. Just want to invite you to check stuff out on our website. Use the QR codes and uh, they'll get you information or calendar stuff. If you've got a, a child, a teenager, or just just interested in what all is going on at Rockbridge as we move into the summer season. Well, today we're going to conclude a series that we've been in really since Easter, where we've been learning that God is a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. And, and so we've been diving into some specific promises that God has for us. And today, to conclude this series, I, I'm going to be very personal in this, because I, I think this particular area is where the church and where maybe many of our faith is the weakest, and there's a consequence to that, to that problem of, of that we're weak in this area. And I think if we as, as a people of God, we at Rockbridge Community Church, the future depends upon us walking in the direction that this promise gives. And I'm going to just kind of leave that hanging there and just unpack that a little bit more for us as we move forward. But, but here's where I want us to talk about and focus. I, I I think we're all still dealing with the pain, the disappointment, the confusion, the uncertainty surrounding recent current events and recent things that we've gone through individually, nationally, uh, globally, in the church, outside of the church. And so, you know, we just don't know what to expect anymore. And it, and it doesn't really matter the category I pick. I could pick financially. I could pick relationally. I could pick spiritually. I could pick politically. We just don't know what to expect anymore. And, and so we kind of, and if you notice, the symptoms of this is we sort of just walk around day to day in our existence, or we walk around, we're, we're thirsty for things maybe to return to normal, or when, or when it comes to expecting, to expecting things, we expect bad. We expect negative. We expect, hey, when's the other shoe going to drop, to use that expression? And you see this lack of expectation or not knowing what to expect in that people, they're edgy, they're touchy, they're suspicious, they're cynical, maybe that's gone into bitterness. I mean, conversations you used to have with people that used to sort of be civil and okay, suddenly are like just, they're just charged with like emotion and negativity and what's going to happen. And I, and I think it's just a byproduct of everything that everybody's been through that, hey, I just don't know what to expect anymore. And if I am going to expect, it's going to be tainted, not with a positive sign, but it's going to be planted to something bad's going to happen. And then you, you open the Bible, and we're told to do this. Rejoice in our confident hope. And, and you're like, God, I, how do I do that? 
I mean, after what we've been through, you know, normal is undefined at this point. And, and so how, how do I have confident hope? And, and then you keep go even further. And I just want us to imagine something. I just want us to imagine something about God. It's not an imagination. It's who God is. But it might feel like an imagination when I read this. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, now, look, that, I, I just want that to hit your soul for just a minute. That, you know, we talk about having a good, night, a good time on Friday night. and We talk about going on a great vacation. And we talk about, you know, having a fun day off. Or, man, Saturday or the weekend's going to be great. Or business cycle's going to be great. Q2's going to be great and all that kind of stuff. But this is the God of the universe saying that before he created time, before he put you and I in time, God has this thing where he's destined and has a plan for us. Us to be a part of glory. That, he say, that Paul is writing this and saying everything God has done with Jesus on the cross, the Jewish people throughout their history to bring Christ in the world, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the hope of eternity, the glory that awaits you and I is so uh, incomparable, unimaginable, and will be great for a million years. It'll be great for eternity. Yet, yet let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. How many of us live with that kind of expectancy? How many of us are walking around here, man, I cannot wait for the glory of God. I mean, we're walking around, uh, what's going to happen? And, we're, and, and if it's bad, we're cynical in our attitudes and we complain. And, and so here, here's the challenge that we're facing as a people, as a human race, as the church. We're in a period of time and we don't know what to expect. And so we've lost expectancy. We've lost hope of the glory of God. We've lost the ability to have confident hope. We have maybe so hope, hope so hope, but we just don't have expectancy. And here's the problem. Hebrews eleven six is going to describe and define faith for us. Here's the problem when we don't have what I'll call holy expectancy. Here's the problem. Let's, let me show it to Let me show it to you in the text. It says, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. That we we don't please God being good enough because we can't be good enough. That's why we needed a Savior, and that's why we needed someone to be good instead of us. That's Jesus Christ, right? So we please God by having faith in God, right? Since the one who draws near to him, talking about a person of faith, must believe that God exists. And then the most important word as I'm studying this text is the word and. And. So you must believe God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, it's not enough just to believe in God. We must also expect that when we pursue God, God is going to do good things in us, through us, and for us. So faith includes expectancy. And what do we say? Without faith, we can't please God. But faith is that God will reward us, and faith includes expectancy. So we have a crisis of expectancy in our culture, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. And a crisis of expectancy is a crisis of faith. And if we don't have faith, we can't please God. So that's an epic problem. For the church, that's an epic problem for our souls and our psyche because it doesn't matter if you're a Christian yet or not. You need hope to fuel your future. You you need hope to get out of bed and go be the person God created, God destined, God designed you to be. 
And so the problem we face is, yeah, we've got a lot of people that believe in God, but are no longer expectant of God. That a casualty maybe of COVID, a casualty of the politics and the current events and the media culture of our day, a casualty of the quarantine, a casualty of all of the uncertainty and the social unrest is we've lost expectancy. And in losing expectancy, we don't think we've lost faith, but we've lost faith. And that's a satanic strategy because Satan knows without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. So, what do we do about it? Well, uh, again, there's not a problem you're, you face that God hasn't provided grace and truth for from his word. And so we turn to his word, and we're going we're to be in Psalm, not, uh, Psalm 81. Psalm 81. It's a great psalm. <clears throat> there's an amazing promise in this psalm. And I, I'm praying for us. I'm praying for all of us that we'd receive this promise and apply it to our life. So Psalm 81 Starts out very hopeful and optimistic. Sounds like a church service. And and this this is one reason we need corporate worship and we need to be together as the people of God in some form, in some fashion, because of what this psalm is going to teach. So here's where it starts. And this is sort of like a a, a festival hymn or something that would be read and celebrated in a church service. But for for the Jewish people. It says, sing for joy to God our strength. Shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Again, hope, expectancy positivity, things are good, right? Lift up a song, play the tambourine, the the melodious lyre, and the harp. Blow the ram's horn on the day of our feast during the new moon and during the full moon. For this is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. So God has said, look, I want you to get together as my people, and I want you to celebrate. I I want you to party I I want you to rejoice. I don't want you to rejoice as defeated, hopeless people. I want you to rejoice as hopeful people. I want you to rejoice in in that you're my people and I am your God. So I want you to get together and I want you to party and I want you to celebrate and I want you to worship me. That's the importance of gathered worship. That's the importance of, of the church coming together, singing together, because we're reminding ourselves of something that's, cru- that's crucially important. So he set it up as a decree for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. Now, God, in this psalm, begins to talk a little bit about the history of, e- uh, the history of his people, the Jewish people. So when he mentions Joseph, he's talking about all the various factors that took Israel out of the promised land and moved them into Egypt where they were taken care of during a famine, but also eventually they were enslaved, and then they had to cry out to God, and then we had to have the exodus of God getting his people out of slavery and out from underneath the oppression and the injustice of Pharaoh. So he's going back to this history of his people in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he says, I heard an unfamiliar language. So again, talking about the the, the Jews in a land of of foreign tongue. But I relieved his shoulder from the burden and his hands were freed from carrying the basket, the dominion, the work of slavery. He says, you called out in distress and I rescued you and I answered you from the thundercloud. And all that the Psalms this is doing is saying, we have reason to sing and celebrate and shout 
to God because of what God has done for us in the past. What God has done for us in the past. And this is an important principle, that God's past faithfulness becomes the foundation for present tense expectancy. God's past faithfulness becomes the foundation for present expectancy. So in other words, we look in the back, we look in the rearview mirror, and we see what God has brought his people through. We see evidence of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, and so we stand on a foundation, and it's like to say, hey, man, God delivered us then, God will be with us now, and God's got something good for us in the future. You've heard me say it a thousand times, the best is yet to come. Why can I say that? I can't say that because necessarily I know what tomorrow holds. I can say that because I know who holds tomorrow and who who holds tomorrow is the one who died on the cross for us and rose again for us to work good for us, okay? So that's what he's saying. So let me pause, okay? We need to understand and have history with God. Have history with God. So, so, so like, just imagine, those of you that are, that are Christ followers, those of you that have a B.C. to A.D. story, this is who I was before Christ. This is who I am because of Christ and now through Christ. So you remember when you, remember your baptism. Remember when you take the Lord's Supper. These are sort of common day, common practices that we do today to recall God's past faithfulness. And, and so what God is building for is saying, look, God has delivered us and solved for us our greatest challenge. He solved our the three biggest problems we face. What are sin, guilt, and death solved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? You're, the four greatest questions any human being is going to ask, who am I, why am I here, what's wrong, and what can be done about it? God has answered those questions more satisfactorily than any other worldview, than any other philosophy, than any other religion that exists. God has answered those questions. And so as we look and see what God has done for us, in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that gives us a foundation to stand upon today in 2021 and have hope for the future and have expectancy for the future. So he's asking us to remember and recall. And listen, if I'm speaking that right now and some of you are like, man, I don't have a B.C. to A.D. story. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I don't have that kind of story. Then why not right now give Jesus Christ the steering wheel of your life? Why not right now say, Jesus, you become my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I want you to write my future. I'm giving you the pencil. I'm giving you the steering wheel. You lead me and you guide me. And then you go forward in baptism and you begin to have a history of God with God so you can stand on this past faithfulness that becomes the foreshadowing of future goodness that God wants to work in your life. All right, so that, 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 that he's, he's trying to build this culture, this heart, this attitude, this mindset of expectancy. And then he goes to where a problem occurs in the story of Israel. He goes to the, what we would call the waters of Meribah. He says, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And then we get this little musical word called Selah. Nobody, it, it sounds like it would in Hebrew. So we're not sure what it means. Probably something for a choir director or a musician. But it's probably let's pause and reflect. So he says, all this positive. I delivered you from Pharaoh. I delivered you out of Egypt. I took care of you then. That's the foundation of my, of my past faithfulness to, into the future expectancy. But he says, I tested you at Meribah. So here's what happened at Meribah. God was leading them out of, the pro out of Egypt toward the promised land, and they came to a spot on their journey where, they, where it felt like they were out of water. 
right? They, they just didn't have provision, and they're like, oh, we're going to die in the desert. Things are going to be bad, and they start complaining against God. And in God's logic, you know, God, God well, number one, it's a test from God. So an unfavorable circumstance, a problem is a test from God. But, but it caused them to forget God, which is a big problem, right? When you forget. So think about it from God's standpoint. He's like, I just delivered you from the only known superpower in the ancient world, Pharaoh and his armies. I just parted the Red Sea. I just made I-75 through an ocean to get you out of Egypt. And now you doubt me, and now you're edgy with me, and now you're complaining against me because you lack some water? Right? And so God's like, what happened? So we have a test. We have the people complaining against God and losing expectancy that the God who redeemed, saved, and delivered them in the past won't do it again in the present or the future. And God's, so there's a problem that God's identified, and it's a problem not just for, like, Israel. It's our problem, too. Because if God saved you and me from our three greatest problems, sin, death, right, sin, shame, guilt, death, if God's answered the four biggest questions every human being asks, and he's ans- answered them satisfactorily and sufficiently for eternity, is God not going to walk with us? Is God not got good for us? Even bad, God can bring good from. And, and, and so we are, we're like Israel in that regard. We're people. We forget God. We lose expectancy. When we lose expectancy, we lose faith. And when we lose faith, we can't please God. So what happens is this. We take circumstantial evidence, and, it, and, and it, we, we develop our theology from our circumstances. Instead of our theology informing our circumstances, our circumstances determine our theology, right? So, so that's the problem. So, so for Israel, it was, it was this. Hey, this, this circumstance, we are lacking water at Meribah. We, we don't have anything to drink. Suddenly, God's not good. Moses is not a good leader. Get us away. Why didn't you leave it? Why didn't you take us back to the desert? Why didn't you let us die in Egypt? And they just start complaining and complaining and complaining. And listen to me. We're so good at complaining, but you need to hear me. Complaining is a spiritual issue. Complaining is a spiritual issue. Some of us have PhDs in complaining, but complaining is a spiritual issue. So what happens is this. I, I use this word compounding. We face a test, using the word from the text. We face a test, and the test circumstantially looks like God is not good, not competent, God is distant, God doesn't exist, whatever. God's silent, God's, making it, God's delayed, God's held up, whatever. We face a circumstance that just looks like God can't be counted on. Even though the past tells us otherwise. Even though the cross and the empty tomb tell us otherwise. Even though the exodus and the Red Sea tell us otherwise. The present circumstance looks like God's not going to come through. Looks like God's not good. Looks like God's not sufficient. And so we lose expectancy. When we lose expectancy, because expectancy is part of faith, we lose faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God is, and so it compounds. And complaining is just amplifying what's compounding. 
and it's still de- and complaining is still attacking and diminishing our expectancy. And so what, what's compounding is this, unfavorable circumstances kill expectancy. And expectancy is part of faith. And if you don't have faith, how, God, you're disconnected from God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So into that dynamic that we all face, God delivers a redemptive path. God delivers a path of hope. So here's what he says. Listen. He's going to say this word a lot. Listen. Listen. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you. So I'm going to correct you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to get you to hope. He says, Israel, if you would only listen to me. Listen. Second time he said it. There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. So just because it looks like God is silent, just because it looks like God's unactive or not active or disinterested or delayed or whatever, you can't use that as an excuse to go chase another God or to try to play God. He says, I am the Lord you God. Who brought you up from the land of Egypt? And he reminds them of the greatest deliverance in their history at that time. We would say, I am the Lord your God who died in your place and who rose again to offer you an eternal place in my forever family. That might be how we would say it on this side of, the, uh, on this side of Easter. He said, and then here's the promise. All right, here's the promise. Open your mouth wide. Think about a, a, a baby that's like ready to eat right? Think about like a dog and you're like giving it a treat. Think about you before you eat like the greatest dessert ever, right? Which is something to do with peanut butter and chocolate. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will satisfy you. So so look at the four things. Look at the four things he says. says, First, you got to listen. You got to listen to what God says over what we see. And I I could also say over what we feel. So I've got to take what God has said and bank on what God has said over what I see. So if I'm Israel at Meribah, I don't see any water. But God has said, we're his people. He'll be our God. And he took us out of Egypt. So he'll take us through this desert. Right? And you just change the circumstances to fit you. But what God says has to win over what we see. The second thing he says is, look, in this moment, in this expectancy battle, you have to resist because you're going to be tempted to turn away to other gods. You're going to be tempted to think you need to take the steering wheel back from God. You're going to be tempted to think maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe you need a shortcut. Maybe you need to go around God. Maybe you need to trust yourself. Maybe you need to trust someone else. But you've got to resist that temptation. And then you've got to remember He is the Lord our God who, and I I just want to invite you right now, fill in the blank for your own story. If you had to say, if you were telling someone that you knew about your God, the God of the Bible, the God of the resurrection, and you say, he's the Lord our God who, how would you complete that In, in one phrase or less? That's part of your story, and it's your story of God being personal with you and faithful to you and redeeming you or restoring you or rescuing you or saving you or blessing you. But he is the Lord our God who? You got to remember that. Because if he did it back then, he's not going to leave you hanging now. And then you believe that this God 
promises. When we go to him metaphorically with an open mouth, God, I need something. I want to be filled. I want to be blessed. I want to be satisfied. He's the God who says, hey, do that. Open your mouth and I will provide. So God, we believe that he will fill and he will, prom- he will satisfy us. And that's the pattern that we should be living in. That's the pattern that keeps expectancy high, which keeps faith alive. But what, what happened? But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. Now, I, I just want to be real. I just want to honor the, the word of God. And I, I'm, I'm praying that we all would honor it in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Okay? A lot of times we think, man, I just want to do what I want to do. That's what it means to be an American. That's what it means to be free. That's what it means to be alive. Doing what you want to do, your own plans, is actually a form of judgment upon ourselves. Because I, I want us to see this, right? The worst thing that can happen to any human being is God gives us over to our own stubborn hearts to pursue our own plans. Say, I I just want to do what I want to do. That sounds great. sounds American. I'm free. Baked into that choice is divine judgment. The worst thing that can happen to anybody is not your life expectancy gets cut short. Not that you would get cancer. Not that we would face a recession or a pandemic. It's that God would give us over to stubborn hearts that do not know how to expect a good God to do good things for his people. Now, that may be where some of you are today. We're going to read and listen to an invitation that's available to all of us today. I mean, you might, some of you are, some of you could be blind in that last sentence. You're like, I'm good. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, no. That's my story, Matt. I pray for the blind right now in the name of Jesus Christ that he opens your eyes. And I pray for those who are already broken. And you know that last sentence right there in the word of God. That's your, that's, <laughs> change a few things, Matt. That's me. God is going to give you an invitation. All of us an invitation. Why is God going to give us an invitation? Because that's who he is. It's what he does. He's good. And we can expect good from him. So here it is. If only my people would listen to me. That, that little, if only, that's the heart of God. Like as a parent, if only my kid, if only that. You've said it. It's God, the Father, heart of God. If only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways, I would quickly take care, subdue their enemies, and turn my hand against their foes. I would take care of all the problems. If only, if only, if only, if only. Those who hate the Lord would would cower to him. Their doom would last forever. And then he goes back to this open mouth and feeding analogy. He said, but he would feed Israel with the best wheat. Not just, you know, hey, I'm not going to let you go hungry. The best wheat. That's the kind of God he is. And And then I would satisfy. I would fill you with honey from the rock. Sweetness, delightfulness, good things from the rock. 
So the invitation looks like this. God invites us to turn to him in desperation and for satisfaction, both with expectation. God invites that. See, see part of the problem for, for Israel in, in Psalm 81 and for you and I in 2021, part of the problem is most people will turn to God in desperation or will leave God in desperation. But very few people turn to God for satisfaction. Very few people have a concept of God being like honey. If you don't like honey, pick your, pick your favorite food. God being satisfying and delightful. God being someone that you can taste and see that he's good. God being a delicacy. God being amazing. God, being sati- God having the capacity to satisfy. Most of us don't look at God that way. But here's the invitation. Hey, yeah, when you're facing an enemy, when you're facing a foe, when you've made a mess because you followed your stubborn, stubborn heart and quit expecting good from God, you can turn to God in desperation and expectation, but you can also turn to God in satisfaction and and say, God, would you satisfy me with yourself? Both of these are faith endeavors. Both of these are having expectancy in God. Listen to how one of the Psalms says it, okay? I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. In other words, yeah, there's times God makes you wait. There's times it doesn't look like there's any water in the desert you're, travel, you're traveling through. And it, but you wait for the Lord because you remain certain, expectant. God, you will see and experience the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. We need a paradigm of God like that. We, we need to quit viewing God as the one who's just going to get us out of hell. We need to see God as the God in the land of the living, our land, today, 2021, whatever you're facing, and go to him with expectancy. say, God, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what you're going to do, but I am certain I will see your goodness. That's faith that attracts the favor of God. So you and I, listen, we are invited, every single one of us today, we are invited to do more than believe in God's existence. But we're invited to actually experience God. We're invited to actually experience God. And and let me just say this. Remember that I I read it earlier, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, right, where we're destined for the glory of God. And that's the greatest thing you can ever have. That's the greatest thing you can ever experience. An experience with God, a moment with God, the manifestation of God. An experience with God is the highest blessing you can ever achieve. It's the highest blessing you can ever enjoy. It's beautiful, right? Right? That's what he wills for us. That's what he wants for us. What, what, did, what did the psalmist David say? I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. So God's inviting you not just to believe that he exists. He rewards those who what? Seek him, who expect him to show himself and provide goodness for his people. And accepting this invitation includes expectancy. Accepting this invitation includes expectancy. And I, I want to give you a, a hint, okay? And, and I, I knew this, but I didn't know this. A couple years ago, I go down to see a pastor in the Atlanta area. I was, just, I, I was like, hey, I got some leadership pastoring questions. And he said, Matt, I, and I was asking about his prayer life. And he said, Matt, I learned a long time ago, God has to be sought. God wants to be sought. Now, he got that out of scripture. I read it, Hebrews eleven six. 6. 
But here's the application. People who expect more of God experience more of God. Every now and then I'll bump into somebody like, Matt, God, my, God, didn't just, God didn't speak to me like that. God didn't answer my prayers like that. I, I, I've never had that experience with God. Have you expected it? Have you sought him? You've sought money. You've probably sought sex. You've probably sought a good time on Friday night. You've probably sought a promotion. You've probably sought an education. Have you sought God like that? That's why you haven't experienced God like that. Because the invitation's there. The invitation's there. So, so I, I live this just today as I'm preparing this message. I had a call from someone in my life that I care about. I had a rough situation, a challenging situation. I, I didn't see any way out of it. I didn't see any break. I, I didn't know. But for some reason, I, I had the call last night. And all, this, all through today, I just moved to pray specifically for this. And, and again, I, I didn't think anything would change for months. And, and I never answer my phone. Very rarely answer my phone. I should say never. Very rarely answer my phone before I preach or look at my texts or emails or anything. I'm usually studying and praying. And the phone rang, and it was, it was this person. And I said, I was just praying for you. And here's what he said. Well, it worked. <laughs> People who expect more of God, they experience more of God. So I, I want to ask everybody a question, okay? What narrative are you telling yourself? In this chapter, this season of your life, what narrative are you telling yourself? Now, and I'll tell you where I get this, Okay. There's a researcher that, that studied people who go through chronic illnesses, all right? And, and, and chronic, my, my wife has chronic illnesses. I mean, it's tough, right, to wake up every day or every other day or potential to face, you know, tough medical stuff. It's tough. And, and this researcher found that people that have chronic illnesses adopt one of three mentalities, one of three mindsets to their chronic illness. And only one actually helps them navigate the chronic illness. The first narrative, and, and you think about us and how we've approached the, the COVID stuff and all this other stuff. So you can apply this, not just to chronic illnesses, you can apply it to any adversity. But, but the, the, the patient who approaches the chronic illness, the, the first mentality is, is one of a restitution or a restoration mentality. Like all their energy goes to, I just want to get back to the way it was before the diagnosis, before the symptoms started showing up. They just sort of want to rewind. And they fight for that, and they long for that. And, uh, and, 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 you know, most of the time when you have a chronic illness, that's just not the reality. So then they struggle because there's no hope or expectancy, at least in the mindset they've adopted. The, the second mindset that people tell themselves that have a chronic <coughs> illness is, is what the, the researcher describes as a chaos narrative. Like they just bounce around crisis to crisis and, they, and it's always something else, it's something this, it's something that, it's something else. And it's just sort of in the moment, just constantly, there's going to be negative. We're going to go to the doctor today, he's going to tell us bad. I mean, it's just bouncing from that to that to that to that. But the third mindset that people who have chronic illnesses can adopt, and these are the patients that do the best, are the patients who adopt what, what the researcher calls a quest or a journey narrative. They accept they're in a fight, but each day's an adventure, and each day's a, just another opportunity 
to face, to persevere, and to move forward. Now, which one sounds like the one God would have for his people? The God who led the folks out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, provided for them in the desert. The God who led his son to die on the cross and opened up a tomb that had been sealed with a, a, a massive rock so we could see the tomb is empty. And the God who invites us not just to believe in him, but to follow him on a quest, on a journey to experience more of him. Because I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Final thing. You don't even have to write it down. You got to remember, faith is faith. Toughest thing about being a Christian, you know what it is? Faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some of you today, you're, you're not waiting. You might say you have faith, but what you're waiting for is sight. Once it becomes sight, it's no longer faith, and you've missed a manifestation of God's goodness. Faith is faith. I, one of my favorite pastors is uh, Tony Evans. Listen to what he says. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. God, I pray right now over every person listening wherever we are, I pray for a resurgence of expectancy because of who you are. A resurgence of expectancy because of who you are and what you have said and what you have promised. God, I want to pray right now against hearts that have become cynical, bitter, suspicious, angry, frustrated. God, I want to pray right now against critical spirit. I want to pray against the spirit of complaint that has enveloped many of God's people in America. I want to pray against a spirit of negativity, God, that has taken over the church. And I want to pray, God, that we would be a people who follow the living God, who follow the living God out of the exodus of sin and guilt and death, and we live in the land of the living. And we are certain that we will see your goodness as we wait for you, as we're strong and take heart, and as we wait for you. These things we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.